Blog Talk Radio. Some days life feels perfect, other days it just ain't working. The good, the bad, the right, the wrong, and everything in between. Tonight is going to be a good night. We are going to talk about something that 
uh, is, I guess, hot in the news right now. Uh, we are going to talk about schools reopening. Um, and is it a good idea? Should we do this? Um, and if we choose to reopen schools in the fall, and when I say reopen, I mean, should we open the doors of the schools and, and should we have schools and uh, should we have schools the way that we normally would um, under these circumstances? And I want people to be open-minded tonight. Uh, my, <laughs> one of my good friends, Mr. Tony Edchill, is on with us. Um, I'll pull him in shortly. Um, he always has just great insight. Tammy is uh, hoping to be on. She had a, another engagement, um, so I'm glad that that, that that Tony is able to tune in uh, just in case Tammy can't make it. But uh, we, we, we both have had t- uh, Tony on before, and uh, the, the brother is just powerful. So I'm glad that, he, I'm glad that he's able to be on. I want to remind you guys that if you would like to call in and ask a question or give a comment, um, you may remain anonymous. Um, You may give your name if you'd like to. That's totally up to you, but we understand that for for different reasons. People can't always do that, so they like to be anonymous. We are totally okay with that. But the number to dial is 563-999-3542. Again, that number is 563-999-3542. And if you have a question or comment, uh, just press the number one, and we will pull you in by your area code um, and the last four digits of your phone number. Uh, We also want to remind you guys to move your trash cans, and there's no better time than the present. So if you're one of those people who have never moved your trash can, why not just do it now while we're uh, on the air live? Um, and we encourage you guys to move your trash cans to a different location simply because we want you to see how often you go back to its original location because we as human beings have a tendency to get caught, in, caught up into excuse me, routines and practices, and when things change, whether we change them, whether life changes, we are so used to things always being there that when they have moved or when things have changed, we still go back to its old location. Think about when you first moved to where you live right now. How long did you get somebody else's mail? How long were they still delivering the mail to the previous resident? Think about even going to work or going home. You get so used to going one way, but then when you find a a different way or a better way, how many times do you say, ooh, I totally forgot? Or let's say you have an errand to run after work. How often do you say, I'm so used to going that way that today I needed to go a different way and I totally forgot. But that just seems to be human nature. We get caught up in things always being there, and then when they're not, we have a hard time adjusting. Sort of like 
school for I don't know how many years, we've been used to doing school a certain way. Now that we have, um, I'm going to say an X factor, we are arguing and fussing and debating what is the best way to do school because life has changed. And so we can't say 100% it is best or if it is safe to do things that we've always done or do what we're used to. So life has a way of bringing about changes. The question is, are you ready? When life throws you a curveball, like people used to always say, how are you going to respond? How are you going to react? And I don't even know if this is a curveball because I've seen other pitches, uh, I want to say like a sinker <laughs> um, and things like that, that I think are worse than curveballs. So what are you going to do? And in my book, um, tired of being black, I talked about how, you know, we wanted rights, and, and, and obviously my book was about, you know, the black race, but, you know, we wanted rights until we got them. For example, we wanted the right to go to school, but now you have to fight us. Like, we fought for the right to go to school. Let me back up. We fought for the right to go to school. But now you have to fight us to get us to go to school. We fought for the right to vote. Now you have to fight, knock on doors, threaten people, drag them out of the house just to get them to vote. Same thing goes with sitting in the front. We wanted to sit in the front. Now that we can, the first place we go is to the back. So it's amazing, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of school, and um, I am grateful that I've been um, – tomorrow actually starts my 13th year in education. And, yes, I have to go into the school building. <laughs> um, but, you know, there won't be many people there because not many people, you know, have to report in the summer. But Tonight, you will actually get to hear from an educator um, or maybe a few educators because I know that there are some um, listening. There are some online. Um, you also get to hear from somebody who uh, has a lot of insight, somebody who has, I mean, just common sense, somebody who's just, you know, intelligent and um, knows a lot, I think, about everything. Um, so it's going to be a different conversation tonight. It's not going to be what you would typically hear on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Um, you know, you're going to get the good stuff. So hopefully um, I also want to try to get touch on mental health and physical health a little bit before we get off the air. I also want to uh, 
um, hopefully be able to tackle how this pandemic has impacted people. I want to share with you guys some things that, you know, have happened in my, my family with my wife, myself, and my daughter, um, just because I think a lot of what we experience, a lot of what we go through, I think it's a lot of it is mental. So I do want to get into that. So before I do that, I hope my brother is ready because I'm going to bring him in here. Tony, are you there? I'm here, man. What's up, me? man? How's it going? I'm doing well, man, considering the fact that we're still in the midst of a pandemic. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm all right. Uh, uh, good, good, good. So um, let's dive right in here, Tony. Um, what are your thoughts, man? And, and I don't know um, – you know where you stand, where uh, where school's concerned. But what are your thoughts when it comes to um, reopening schools in the fall? What do you think? I think that um, it's crazy, and the reason I think it's crazy for them to do it is that, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're social distancing, and we're supposed well, I call it physical distancing. If we're physically distancing from people, right? and we're supposed to be um, keeping six feet away and wearing masks and all these other things, but you have, let's say you got to get the kids to school and there's a bunch of kids on the bus, so most uh, bus loads are like 40, 50 kids, right? You can't put that many kids on the bus, so you have to now put it to maybe 12. How do you do that and get everybody to school safely? That's number one. Number two, at the school, most kids don't like being physically distanced and wearing masks and all this other stuff. So, And they're coming from households where we don't know what their parents are doing or what they've been doing, if they're asymptomatic, if they don't have, you know, have all these, um, these other issues, and they can be spreading this virus. And if there's one, let's just use the, the, the term of glitter from, from your uh, teacher's perspective. If one kid has glitter, right? How many have glitter? Every single one of them. So why would we put our kids, our educators, in that situation to in the midst of a pandemic where we don't even, one, know how the long-term effects of this, this virus is, two, if you get the virus, you know, 20 to 40% of the people, as Dr. Fauci just said uh, in, a, in, a, in a written article, are asymptomatic, and they spread this virus, and they don't even know the virus in a 40% of 20 to 40% of people are not getting certain symptoms. Some get no symptoms, some get a little bit of symptoms, and then you got the rest who get incubated and, and have really serious symptoms, sometimes for a couple of days or a week, sometimes for months. Sometimes they have one person for three months, a Hollywood star who dies. Who, so we don't know all these different things. And my problem with it is that putting people at risk like that when you don't understand this virus and they're baffled by this virus because it's taking different turns and it's attacking young people more harshly when they do get it, you know, it attacks their liver, it attacks their lungs, it attacks their heart. So why would we put our kids in that situation? And as someone eloquently said the other day, why are you putting educators at risk for something 
that the government didn't do its job, and it's not the educator's job to babysit your kids. It's their job to educate your kids, but in a safe manner. You did it virtually learning, and they were thrown into doing that really quickly. Now you have time to, if they have to virtually learn this, and when they get a vaccine, then you bring all these kids back to school. But to to put kids in that situation, to put educators in that situation, to put people in that situation that's not really safe and you don't know, in an in enclosed environment when this virus has been proven to be spread even faster indoors, I think it's crazy. That's my opinion. Tony, I want to stop you right there. Um, so there are obviously people who would disagree with you, right? We, we, you've seen it. I've seen it. There are people who would disagree with, uh, who, who may, let, let's say this, they might agree with some of the things that you said, right? But they, but they feel like kids need to be back in school. What do you say to okay. those people? I would say if they were if if we had again a vaccine for this virus and if we had and we know that it's spread through what? Through air, through you know, let's yep. say kids and a lot of kids cough and don't cover their mouths. And you know, someone told me today that has a young kid that her her young daughter had been home for the past four months and has not had a cold or anything else because kids spread germs very fast. We know this. It's fact. You got one kid in the class that's sick, half the kid in the class or, or in, this, uh, in the neighboring vicinity, most of those kids will get sick. So we got a virus that we know is airborne and it's spread through germs and it's spread through, uh, through breathing and inhaling it in. And you catch this virus, and we don't know the symptoms that can happen from the worst of the worst to being asymptomatic and spreading it to others. Why would we even put our children in that and at risk it like that? It doesn't make sense to do that. And I understand, get, listen, I get it. Kids can't be home all the time. I get it. However, it's still not safe enough for them to be in school. We're not New Zealand, which had a, were at level one and have zero cases of coronavirus where they can now have freedom to go around and do what they want to do, but they still have the restriction of wearing a mask and they're not allowing anybody else in their country. So, and if you leave the country as a citizen, when you come back, you go to 14 days quarantine. You you, got to do temperature. Are we going to put it on the educators to do temperature checks to every single kid that walked through those doors? Because you got to check their temperatures to make sure they're right. If they're sick a little bit, you're going to make sure they're right. And let me give you a prime example yeah. of something that happened with the spread real quickly. They had a t- Las Vegas. There's a, there's a, there was a tournament in Las Vegas, and Las Vegas, in the area of Las Vegas, they were had very, very low COVID numbers, extremely low. There was right. one kid or an adult who had went to this tournament knowing they had coronavirus. They were asymptomatic, but they went anyway because they had tested positive. They infected 119 people in this 48-team tournament. So my point is one kid going into a classroom, spreading it, spreading it into a classroom, that teacher gets it. Next class comes in, 
he spreads it or she spreads it to the students. They go and they spread it the whole school. It it doesn't it's not safe and it doesn't make sense. And especially if there's a possibility that kids can get extremely ill from this and possibly die. Tony, I wanna I, I, I wanna touch on so I want to come back to some things that you said. I've been sitting here taking notes because you know I don't have Tammy tonight. So I got to. I'm sitting. Here, I'm sitting. Here, I'm sitting here trying to take notes and everything. Um, but I want to come back to some things that you said and safety being one of them. But before I do that, uh, there's there's another uh, uh, person on the on the line. There, there's a young lady, um, a very special young lady to to Mary and I. Um, uh, I've, I actually met her through Tamaria, um, but I just consider her just a good friend of ours. Um, who I'm going to get to share a lot of different things um, tonight. I don't know how long she can be on. Um, but I want to bring her in here, and that is um, Amber Ivy, who is um, an independent candidate who is running for uh, Congress. Um, I want to get her in here, Amber. Um, I don't know when uh, when you when you were able to log in, but what do you yeah, think here, about Ivy. sitting? Can, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. So I want I want to I want to hear your thoughts on like kids going back to school, um, you know, this fall. And then too, uh, to add to what I was just asking Tony, what do you say about um, you know parents who have to go back to work? Uh, if you can factor that in as well. Mm. Um, so on the whole issue of kids going back to school, I agree with them. Um, with a lot of the things that Tony said. Um, well, firstly, thank you for having me um, on and allowing me to speak up on this issue. Um, but I agree with a lot of things Tony said because one of the things that hit me that he just said was um, if one kid has it, right, like imagine or one teacher has it, and you know like in certain places like high schools or whatever with block scheduling, imagine a teacher has it and that teacher has five or six classes that day. So then how do you handle mm-hmm. if a teacher has that interaction in a classroom with, 30, maybe 30 kids per block times five, where at 150 people have been impacted by that, right? Or at least yep. um, in contact with it. And then imagine those folks going home to their family. And then that family, if their parents are going to work, right, that person then goes to work. And it's like those movies we see. I forgot the name of the movie that's the big one that everyone watched recently. Uh, but it just shows how quickly it spreads. And yes, um, COVID, the data shows that. Um, the death rate is not as high as we originally thought, but I'm not interested in losing kids and um, people who are living with autoimmune conditions or people who are elderly um, all to prove a point. And I think that this is setting us up to see how we're going to operate in a world that is more technology-driven, that is more connected, where this is the first time we're going to have one of these pandemics. We'll have something else. We're going to eat something they should eat. Um, the virus is going to hop from an animal to a human, and we're going to have something happening because it's happening in the history of time, right? So I think we have to think about how we handle this going forward and making sure that we're not willing to sacrifice our children uh, just to open up the economy. And for me, we just say call it until next year when they do have vaccines um, and we can um, make 
in this franchise, we need to protect this coronavirus. I want to I, I want to talk about the safety part. Go uh, ahead. No, no, go ahead. The parents go back to work. I was just gonna say most jobs. Well, at least most jobs are in the business, though, right? Most people are home. Now, I do feel like the parents whose jobs are not essential and are not jobs that can access these computers, um, so that is causing a lot of folks to lose their um, employment and things like that. So we just have to think about how um, we either stagger reopening, we do hybrid reopening, but I don't think we should go back to a full-fledged reopening right now. I think there are ways to figure out uh, approaches that combine a few things, see how that works, and if we need to pull back, pull back. But to say August should be in school, August fill in the blank, or September after Labor Day, I think it's irresponsible, especially with the cases climbing like they are. I like I, I like both I like both of your uh your points, uh many many you and Tony. Um and just from a safety perspective so I know I, I know people, and, and uh, I'm going to touch on some things that I that I posted on Facebook over the weekend. Number one, I know that people think that academics are our number one priority in education. As important as academics are, they are not our number one priority because teachers can't teach and students can't learn if the environment is not safe. And that's not just physical safety. Like we have, uh, like we're required by law to have like fire drills and um, lockdown drills and things like that. Like we we have actor shooter, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, procedures in place. Um, You know, we, we have a student code of conduct for discipline. Um, you know, we, 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 in Virginia, but in every state, there's state testing, but in Virginia, we call them SOLs. So like, you know, we focus on like, you know, getting kids prepared for SOLs and things like that. But our biggest thing is safety. And we have to make sure that the environment is safe enough, comfortable enough, so that teachers can come in and teach so that students can come in and learn. But not only that, like, we have to think about the office staff. We have to think about our custodians. We have to think about our bus drivers. Like, there's so many moving parts to the day-to-day operations of a school. And I think that's the problem when people start talking about things like this, and it's like, well, what the heck are they talking about? Because if you wouldn't, Put kids into a, a a building that wasn't safe, right? Just because we can't see the coronavirus, why would we do it now? And to touch on some things that you guys said, there are parents who send their kids to school knowing that they're sick. School starts, and then five or ten minutes later, you have kids in the clinic. And I've seen this at several schools. 
you have kids in the clinic the moment the morning announcements are done. And then you're like, well, what's wrong? School just started. My stomach hurts. Or my head hurts. Or I don't feel good. You take the temperature, it's 102, 103. And if parents will send their kids to school, knowing that their kids are sick with maybe a common cold, with maybe a stomach bug, with with, with the flu, do we not think that parents will do that with the coronavirus? And schools are a just what uh we had to take Nadia to the doctor um quite a bit, you know, um, because she was just always sick, right? And when she was finally like okay one time, I said, Well, do you think we should keep her home or do you think we should take her to daycare? And the doctor said, Are you kidding me? Nothing but germs in the daycare. Take it right on in there. You know, but, but <laughs> the, but, but the right, thing man. was, <laughs> right, but his it's thing was, she's not going to get any sicker. Like, that's all that's in there is germs. And I will tell you guys this, since Nadia has been out of daycare back in March, her last day of daycare was March 13th. Since then, Nadia had one bump on her butt, and she had a sty. And we're talking about a kid who, since she's been in daycare, nose is always running. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had a fever for like two weeks um, last May. Like, she was constantly sick. So if we know that these things happen, if we know that these things exist, why would we say or think that it is okay to send kids into schools? Now, I, there there's so many ways I want to go with this, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna go here, and then I'll and then I'll and then I'll ask Tony and Amber another question. The whole thing about jobs keeps coming up, and like parents have to work, and we're where are kids going to go? And I get it. Uh, schools have been a great, like, resource for parents, especially when it comes to child care. I totally get it. But do you know that not everybody who wants kids to go back to school has a job? You have stay-at-home parents who are requesting for schools to open back up so their kids can go to school. And I've had parents to tell me, I don't care what they do, I don't care what happens, my kid has got to get out of here. They are plucking my last nerve. What? <laughs> but that's what but that's what they're saying. Oh, between eating up all the food and just plucking their nerves all day, wanting to go here, wanting to go there, wanting to do this, wanting to do that. I mean, they're getting on the parents' nerves. But you have parents who don't even work. I get it. Like, you know, parents have to work. But you have parents who aren't even working that are just like these kids have to get out of the house. 
They are driving me crazy. So don't just think that it is like parents are like really like trying to figure this out. There are parents who like they sit at home all day. And the kids are cramping their style. I want to talk to you guys about something and and Amber, I I, I don't know <laughs> um how far you can go into this, but I want to talk about the federal government because there were some comments made last week um, about, you know, the federal government um, pulling funds back um, from schools if they don't reopen. Um, What do you guys think about that? Ms. Amber? Tony, I'll let you go first. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, you might need to go first with all these so she can gather her thoughts. <laughs> I have a um, problem. I, I don't mind saying it first, honey. I'll go real quick. Um, I have a okay. problem when we use the federal government to make the states move. Because if we're not going to do it for everything, like for example, if we didn't use federal government to make States closed down, right? Um, and we let the states have it, or left it up to the states and said that's how we operate as a country. We believe in federalism, all these things, and how states have their rights or what have you, giving them the ability and flexibility to move at their own pace. Now, or to do whatever it is they wanted to do, right? So that's what was said from the top. Now, the top now changing that conversation and saying, now, if you don't do what I told you, you're not going to get money for schooling. So I think that if you're going to leave through times like this, your message needs to be consistent, and it can't flip and flop based on what's happening in the polls, based on what's coming up, and things like that. If I felt this was an actual real thing that happened as it relates to data, and we have proof that shows this is okay, um, we've done everything we need to do from the beginning, and everything is good to go. Maybe you say, hey, they need to push you. You can't be around here waiting around and not opening up because of the realistic fear. But that's not what happened. What happened was we said, you all do it the way you want to do it. And now we're saying, tricked you, and now I want you to do it this way. And if not, this is the punishment. And I don't think that's right. Okay. Um, I can piggyback a little bit off that. I agree with or with Ms. Amber, 100%. Um, I think that the states have been making the call as far as opening, uh, the level of opening, if they need to pull back, which some states have, uh, California is already pulling uh, pulling back a lot of stuff uh, as far as the openings are concerned. They're closing bars and movie theaters, et cetera. The same thing with Florida, which, of course, was not really willing to do that but he finally closed the bars and the beaches um, and the numbers of COVID in that state and, and even in California is spiking, but Texas, Florida, um, a couple other states where the numbers are just going through the roof. And it seems like it's all in the deep South that this is starting to happen. Um, but if you're going to give them their control to be able to open and close when they um, are supposed to, which is part of the, the way the democratic system works, then I think that you you have to be a consistent message and say, well, we're going to allow you guys, if you have low numbers and you feel comfortable trying to work a plan to get these kids into school, 
once or twice a week, then that's okay. But if your numbers are like Florida, which he wants them to open too, uh, I thought it was absolutely crazy. Um, or Louisiana, one of those places where the numbers are out of control, or Texas, which in Houston, from what I'm reading, has uh, a lot of things going on down there because I've spoken to someone who has family in Houston, and he told me it seems like to him, but I know it's not this true, but <clears throat> excuse me, that one out of every two persons or people down there have uh, have actually gotten the virus. It's not one out of two, but the number is extremely high. He says that he knows family members that live in Houston, and several of them have gotten the virus, and a couple have gotten really sick, but some were asymptomatic. And that's how the other people got the virus. So, yes, um, no, I think that pulling back funds and threatening that that action is not the, I wouldn't say it's the correct way of handling this. It's doing what we've been doing and telling them, okay, go along with your guidelines of what the numbers are and, and have the safety risk and man, and manage it from there. That's what I would do, but. I agree with um, I agree one hundred percent. So schools are schools are are primarily funded by states and localities. Correct. Um, and I'll and I'll start with Tony here. We'll we'll try to go back and forth, but I'll start with Tony here. Who do you think will be impacted, or maybe you even know um, who will be impacted the most if federal funds? Are taken out of schools, and why? That's a good question, and I'm again, I'm not really sure um, who would be in which. Which would you like? Which population? Whether it's minorities, whether it's um, uh, uh, upper class schools, middle class schools, are we talking on that realm right. or that that level? I would say if, yeah, if let's, I had let's, to yeah, guess, let's go that let's go that realm. Okay, if I had to guess because that's what I'm doing basically right now, I would say the schools with the lower tax base that depend on that funding. Um, I would believe that they will be more hurt by it. They're not, here's the thing. I don't think there's enough funding in the schools anyway, to be honest with you, because it's all based on the taxes of the property taxes of the areas, areas that you live in. Um, So if they are, if it's based on that and it's already low funded, and you pull those funds, then you hurt them even more. Whereas a, a school in a more affluent or more middle-class district could afford, it would be a hurt for them, but it's not a devastating um, loss like you have to cut programs, et cetera. You may have to cut back a little bit. Does that make sense? So I don't know. I don't yep. think, I think that if, and if I'm looking at it in that realm, then that's in from, Originally being from New York, I knew it was about property taxes and where people were um, and where they lived. It was based on how much funding schools got. I know that if, and I'll just use this area, if I live in Great Falls, I know that my schools will be very well funded. Potomac, my schools will be very well funded. Um, if it's in, and I don't, I'm not going to say any area, another area, um, I know that the schools will be not as well funded because of the property taxes, and if I pull that federal funding, then it hurts even more. 
So those kids, I think, will the at-risk kids, I believe, and the low-income kids will be more at risk. Amber? Um, I definitely agree with Tony on that. I know it's not a heavy amount, um, but I think that the school, like you said, in those states that are already in the negative, right, and they need funding from the federal government for whatever it is, I think you're right. And a lot of the states are red states that tend to um, pay, uh, take more from the federal government than they actually uh, put in in taxes. So, um, so it's not just a, a blue issue. Right? It's not just a, um, the low-income places that are people of color. It's also those rural areas that also have yes. issues. So I think we have to be um, think about when he says things like that. I think we just have to realize that he does talk a lot. I think that when if that when crap hits the fan, right, and then folks realize what that means for their own individual locations. I believe that people in Congress and local folks as well will will say something and ring that alarm because it sounds good in in the what do you call it in the sound bites or whatever, and it sounds like oh I'm making change and I'm trying to push the country in a certain direction, but then when it comes down to it, uh, how it hits people, you'll hear it loud and clear, similar to what just happened with the immigrant immigration um, rule that they just pulled back that was trying to send um, individuals in this country who were here for schooling out if they were going back to school or if they could go to school online, they were like, you need to go back to your country and get deported. And then the amount of people that were like, no, that's not going to happen the White House pulled that back. So I think the same thing would happen here. I agree. So I want to read something, uh, and you both you both are correct. <laughs> so I want to read something here that ca- that comes from the uh, the the ed.gov website. And this and I was I was a little hesitant at first to to read this uh, because the article was uh, from 2005, but the more I read it, I was like, you know what? Like, this is so. What it says is that, and, and I kind of broke it up as much as I could, but and, and I won't read the whole thing. But it says the responsibility for K twelve education rests with the state under the Constitution. The federal government, through the legislative process, provides assistance to the states and schools in an effort to supplement, not replace, state report, uh, state support. The primary source of federal K-12 support began in 1965 with the enactment of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, ESEA. ESEA authorizes grants for elementary and secondary school programs for children of low-income families. And I'm glad that, um, uh, I can't remember if Tony said it, but I'm glad that Amber brought it up that it's, not just like minorities, like we're talking about rural kids too. Yes. Um, school library resources, textbooks, and other instructional materials, supplemental education centers and services, strengthening state education agencies, education research, and professional development for teachers. No child, be le- no child left behind was. Uh, essentially a reauthorization of ESEA and the laws uh, express purpose purposes are to raise achievement for all students and to close the achievement gap. This is done through accountability, 
research-based instruction, flexibility, and options for parents so that no child is left behind. Now, if so, it was funny last week, Tamari and I were talking when, you know, all of this came up, and I said, well, uh, the federal government doesn't really fund the schools. Like, that money comes from the state and the cities and or counties. Like, that, that's where that money comes from. The money doesn't, like, right. most of the money funding our schools doesn't come from the federal government. The federal government funds programs because anytime the federal government, like, gives money, there's usually, like, you know, when the state and the, and the local government give schools money, they just give the money. And then schools have to figure out what to do with the money. When the federal government gives the money, it is, this is what you have to do with the money. This, this, is, this is $1 million, and this is what that $1 million is for. And it's usually to fund something. It's, it's usually a supplement. So when we talk about pulling federal money out of schools, like you said, Tony, it's not going to really hurt the kids in Potomac, Maryland. Not going to really hurt the kids in Great Falls. It is going to hurt the kids in Norfolk, Virginia, where I grew up. Those are the mm-hmm. kids that are going to be impacted because those are the kids who need that supplement. That's where right. the property tax is not. Houses don't cost the same in Norfolk as they do in Potomac, Maryland. Yep. And so that's why you have places like Arlington, Virginia, and this number could be different. I know that two years ago it was uh they were spending twenty thousand dollars per kid and you had places in southwestern Virginia where it was about a thousand dollars per kid. So when we talk about taking away supplements, you are typically hurting kids and families who really need that money. Now, in Virginia, in Virginia, for a very long time, schools, and I didn't notice until a a few years ago, and and I was highly upset, but um, I know up until 2011, I think it has changed, but I got to go back and look, but I know at least until 2011, Virginia had not given any money to um, to the to the schools other than through the Virginia lottery. The Virginia lottery was supposed to be a supplement, but the but the state turned it into this is how we're going to fund our schools. So we weren't even getting any state money. It was all coming from the Virginia lottery. So when we talk about funding schools, what is actually happening? So when so when you know when people are saying you know teachers need to be paid more, how? How is that going to happen? Where are we going to get the money from? And so I, I know that like you know, and we won't get into this tonight, but. Too much. I mean, you guys can feel free to jump on it. But when people talk about defunding the police and that turned into a whole thing, and I'm like, wait a minute. 
we haven't been fully funded in education in I don't know when. Are y'all worried because they're going to take a couple dollars from the police? Do you know that, like, police officers, depending on where you are, is usually about 20 to 25 years. And don't get me wrong and don't, don't get it twisted. I have nothing but love and respect for the police. I really do. Overall, I, some of them need to go. But overall, I have nothing but love and respect for the police. However, they can retire usually 20 to 25 years. We can't right. do that in education. If something goes wrong on the street, they can do things that we can't do. If somebody if somebody attacks us, we're supposed to take it. If somebody spits at us, if somebody cusses us out, if somebody throws, if a kid throws a chair, parents come to school acting a fool, we're supposed to take it. They don't they don't have to do that. So when we talk about funding schools, who are you really hurting? Because I guarantee you, and they don't they don't even have to be at private schools. But kids who live in wealthy areas, they don't have the same issues and struggles as kids who live in the hood. So when I hear people talking about schools and money, I know they're not talking about everyone because the rules are different depending on where you are. The access is different. The resources are different. The salary is different. So I'm glad that you guys brought up these points, and and you guys were right on, and I and I know that you guys are not you know teachers, but you're right on. You are going to hurt the people who need it the most, and it's not just the black kids in Norfolk, but it's also kids in the white kids in West Virginia. It's the white kids in West Virginia that you're going to hurt. Because they need that money too. Any other thoughts that you guys have on this topic? Because uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep going, but I wanna I wanna shift it a little bit. But anything else on reopening schools in the fall? Amber, I'm gonna go to you. Yep, I just think that we're moving into a world that's more technology driven and what we saw with COVID is that our kids a lot of them especially depending on where you are whether you're in Appalachia um, which is rural America right and we use that code as rural America or you're in Norfolk which is um, more of a um, semi inner city um, type area uh, we know that kids are going to need access to internet high speed internet and digital uh, devices we saw with COVID that they did not have those in a lot of situations where kids are at home um, and they don't have access to Internet, whether it is their family just doesn't have access to Internet, whether the area doesn't offer um, the Internet. So we saw a lot of these gaps, and we also saw a lot of kids don't have access to tools like smart uh, tablets or Chromebooks or what have you. So um, going forward, we need to think about that. COVID showed us where our deficiency are, deficiencies are, and we know that the world is becoming more tech-driven, and our kids have to have those things in order to compete. So this was like a test run. We need to make sure our kids get those tools. 
Um, states need to make sure they're investing um, in those tools for education. Um, Chromebooks and things like that are often cheaper than textbooks, right? Like textbooks, think about all the textbooks we had when we were in pre-K to um, 12th grade, and that's when we didn't have to buy them, right? But the school was paying for those textbooks, and those books cost hundreds of dollars a piece. Now imagine if you give the child a Chromebook where they can upload um, whatever uh, information they need or whatever um, text they need um, through their Chromebook and just carry that through their time uh, at the school that they're in. We just need to think about how we do education very differently, especially if kids are going to be at home. And my last point is, um, for I know here we had an issue in Baltimore County and Baltimore City with access, but some of the kids were only able to get paper um, homework that was sent out eventually, right, because it took a long time for them to figure out what was happening with COVID and how to handle it. So now that we've had this test run, we need to do a better job of planning it. And for parents who don't want their kids to go back to school, if the schools open up, we can look at different models. Like imagine a world where there are parents who are able to still work from home. They all agree to quarantine and keep themselves um, in an insulated system, but then they rotate homes for who's doing teaching for that day and looking at homeschool very differently. We don't have to wait for the government to say, this is how we're going to operate. We can also think outside of the box to make sure our kids are safe. So I just I challenge folks not just be okay if they say we're sending our kids back at 100% capacity, but to think about other <laughs> ways to make sure our kids are getting educated. Amber, you just made me think of something else, a couple of things, but I'm going to go to Tony first. <laughs> um, I can't disagree. I love what, she, what Amber said, and um, Ms. Amber said, and I think that when you have that system in place for them to be able to understand that there's different models and think outside the box, that's the big key. And I'll give you a prime example. I'm just going to use this as, as an example. We're talking about schools, regular schools for high school, middle school, and uh, elementary schools open up. Let's think about universities right now who have college football athletes and soccer athletes and all these people back at their schools. My friend, uh, my best friend, he played in the NFL, and his son is a college-age kid, and he's, a, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore at a big time in a, in a, in a Division One university. He's an NFL prospect. He's that good. Um, he's telling me I'm not sending my son back to school. They had a, a call for the school on Sunday about having them come back. Initially, the first date was July 20th. They've moved it back to now July 27th. And he said that he can't see them having a fall season. The Ivy Leagues, which had has already said, we're canceling the fall season. We're just going to look to put everything in, in spring and don't talk to us till January 1st. And I think that's a more realistic uh, target for us to think about having the kids back in, not in the fall, winter, but maybe in the springtime when they have a vaccine. And at that same point, let's use the different tools that we can to have them learn. Think outside the box. Let them learn virtually. If they don't have a computer in their home, if the person down the street has a computer in their home and you feel safe enough because you've quarantined in their home and they quarantine in their home, can your child go over there and those two children learn or three children learn in that home with mask on, of course, but learning for that day. So, or if, can the schools find a way of finding money? Maybe the federal government giving out laptops to these kids or, or tablets 
or something that they can use or borrow or keep and make sure that if we're thinking no child left behind, that that's an essential tool right now that we can use for learning. Because like uh, Ms. Amber said, we're in a digital world. And just use every single tool and every single advantage that we may have to be able to educate these kids to make sure they don't fall behind. And the kids that, are again, are going to get lost and get um, are not going to be up to the same level are going to be the kids from rural America and the kids from the inner cities. So we need to be able to think outside that box and get those kids that those tools necessary to learn at a sufficient level. Tony, you made me think about something too, but I want to go back. So I, uh, we're not going to quite move off this yet because <laughs> both of you guys made me think about something. But I'm going to go back to Amber first um, because Amber talked about, um, you know, access and um, how now that we know, um, you know, certain things, like we should be planning and preparing for the future and not being limited. But, um, Amber, so for the past, I want to say at least past five years um, that I know of, and it could go back further than that, school districts have gotten data, whether it be their own data, could be their data and data from, like, the state, um, could be from a different state. But school schools... Um, or school districts have received data about um, information regarding African-American males being suspended or expelled four times more than their white counterparts, right? So they've received this data, yet it is still happening. So if they have information about a problem that needs to be addressed or fixed doesn't seem like that's happening. How do we know or what can we do to ensure that, A, we fix that problem, but also, like, that they'll do what's right when it comes to this problem? You don't know that. <laughs> and I'm not going to sit here and lie and you do. Um, I'm going to be very so the, one of the things that I think we have to do a better job in is using, um, like you just said, the data, right, and actually making decisions based on the data. Now, should the data, um, should we take it to the point where we only look at the data and ignore the human experience? No, that's not what I'm saying. But if we know that certain things are happening at a higher rate or we know that things are changing at a higher rate and we want to keep leaning on our own experience, then we need new training. And I think a lot of times, we all have done it, when we're in a field for so long, we think we know the way, we think we know the answer. And if something shows us uh, an option that's opposed to the answer that we have literally constructed in our brain for years and years and years, it's very hard to make those changes. So I think it's just something that folks have to see in a very um, in a targeted way to see how that, those changes can happen. So, for example, what does that look like? It looks like instead of saying, oh, we're using data for all of our decisions, right, let's try it in one of, one of the areas where it's low risk. We all have agreement that we want it to change. It's not political. It's not um, something that can get us in the Washington Post or whatever our local newspaper is. It's something that's lower level. For example, um, college admission rates, right, or something like that, or the, the number of kids, let's even take it further, further or back a little bit further, 
the number of kids who are um, who are ready for college but who are not taking college courses. That's a number where we know there are a lot of kids, specifically brown and black kids, and even kids in certain parts of rural America, who have the test scores they need to um, succeed if they took a college class, but for some reason they're not taking college courses. So that's one where you can come in and say, all right, let's try this thing out. There's not much controversy around that. We want the kids to take college courses if they're ready. Like, there's not much you can argue about that. And you can use those smaller areas to show how you can use data to make a plan around something um, and to target a certain group to make sure you do get them access. Now, is that going to change everything else? No, it isn't. But you can start small somewhere, and I think we have to get better at using evidence and operating in a way that um, that's not just based on a whim or based on our, what we think our, our experience is. Yes, you should couple your experience with that, but that should not be the only thing we're using, especially with the amount of data. The fact that, um, I'll say this really quickly, the fact that companies are literally using your data right now to have you make a decision, which happens when you're going to watch on TV, what you're going um, to buy, all that stuff is being manipulated by private sector companies who are manipulating your data in that way. Why don't we use it to actually help kids and actually help to move the, the pendulum? Because everyone else knows it works. They're using our own data against us, and we can actually use it in a way to improve um, outcomes for folks. Wow. Amber, if I lived in Maryland District 7, I'd vote for you. <laughs> Y'all can always do We have plenty of homes in their seats. <laughs> Listen, if you find me one like the one you, you got, I'm five, moving in there. You can buy five for the price of one, depending on where you are. So just let me know. That That is definitely true. Y'all should see Amber's house. Um <laughs> And Tony, I'm going to ask you this, but if you if you want to add uh, to what Amber just said, uh, feel free. But I I want to no. ask you this because you brought up because you brought up athletics. And a few years ago, somebody said to me that instead of you know when kids want to be and and um and I think you've mentioned this before on the show, Tony. But uh, Tony um, played basketball. That's how I actually met Tony through a basketball group. Um, on Facebook, uh, Tony played basketball and uh, all the way through college, I believe. Um, Correct. Um, but um, you know, people often say when kids want to, you know, be football players or basketball players, and, and I'll and I'll stop there because that's usually where the conversation is, but. They always say, well, what is your backup plan? And a few years ago, somebody said, well, why is it that we we ask kids what is their backup plan to sports? Shouldn't sports be the backup plan? And shouldn't academics be their number one? So with everything that's going on, Tony, and 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 you play you play sports. Um, you know, growing up, and then you 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 had the opportunity um, and played in, in college. How does this impact kids who, you know, this might be their senior year coming up, and let senior year, and, and they don't get to play high school football, and now. You know what does that do if if we're if we're you know out of this mess or at least things are better in 2021? Like how does this impact students 
who had hopes of playing football, whether it be um, in college or maybe maybe this is their senior year coming up in college, and they were hoping of having a big senior season and, you know, having a chance to make it to, you know, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, whatever the case is. And what message do you have for students who are also athletes? I think that the, again, and I've always said this, I was a basketball player, academics, and I was a student first. And I think that sometimes we get lost with thinking that, oh, it's these kids need to play. No, it's a privilege to play. It was a privilege for me to play. It was a privilege for me to get recruited when I played in junior college because I was in the military four years, and then I got recruited out of that to play. And it was a privilege for me to go play. It was a privilege for me to get that degree and make, you know, honors when I got out of there. And I'm like, this was something I knew it was. But there's kids that need to understand. I understand you want your senior year, but maybe – and even in high school, I don't know how they're going to work this out, but I would tell them to push their season back till January, whether it's football, basketball, or whatever. And there's some kids that do play two sports. Some of them play three sports. Um, it, will it impact them of making them make a choice this year? Probably, because they're going to have to choose one of those sports that's their best sport or which team they feel most loyal to to play. Um, yeah, I understand that. The good thing about my friend's son is that he's a sophomore. So he has three years of eligibility left, but he's going to probably graduate in another year and a half. So he's doing his courses online and he's doing it there. Will he play this this right now? Um, his coach has talked about moving this season back to the spring. I think that that makes sense because we don't know right now. And you're talking about a contact sport, football and basketball. Baseball, you may be able to get away with it a little bit more because it's not a contact sport like football and basketball, but you're talking about sweat, you're talking about spit, you're talking about uh, bodily fluids being transferred, and this virus, which is also viral, but also can be transferred through the body, I don't think that you want those kids to go and put them in a situation, even though I know this is a big year for some of them. You know, this may be my big-time senior year where I can get drafted, but I think that if they know, they already know who you are, usually by now and they they Mm -hmm. will definitely keep it in mind that yeah you didn't have a pan you there was a pandemic play at that moment and hopefully they'll be able to see you in the spring for high school sports i'm hoping they move them to the spring too i'm i'm really hoping i don't think they can play i wouldn't let my kid play football right now not again with the or basketball or anything right now because I won't take the chance of them being around a kid, again, that's infected, and they're spreading it to the entire team. That's what. And if you look at the models that we're looking at right now in the professional ranks, two teams in soccer, in Major League Soccer, had to shut down because nine people on one of the team got the virus mm. and their main players. Uh, another team, a wow. bunch of players got the virus. So you have, you know, NBA players being tested. Out of 300, I think, 22 players, they've had 22 or 25 players test for the virus, including a superstar, Russell Westbrook, who said, yes, I have the virus. 
because they were wondering yeah. why he hasn't been in Atlanta. I mean, in in Florida, excuse me, in the bubble. Even in the bubble, it's tough. So they're being in a controlled environment. I think the NFL is going to have a hard time this year trying to get their league started. High school-wise, I think it's going to be impossible because now you're asking kids to socially distance but then go hit and touch each other. For and they're not quarters. getting paid millions. Let the record reflect. And they're not getting paid millions. Exactly. No, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I can't. I can't see it. Even in college. And I said this before. People are like, oh, the colleges, the SEC has already said this today. They're going to make a decision in the next couple of weeks whether they're going to have a season now or move it to the spring. I thought it was very ambitious of them to want to have the season now because they wanted to give people an opportunity to have sports now. But here's my thing with the NBA, and Adam Silver already said this. I think that there may not their season may shut down eventually because I don't think that – I just don't know if they're going to be able to sustain it where one or two superstars or whatever who are getting paid millions of dollars may get this virus. But then you're talking about high school kids for a scholarship. Look, son or daughter, I will find out if I'm a parent. We will find a way for you to pay for school if they don't give you, don't offer you the scholarship. But I can't see them not offering a scholarship or giving these kids an opportunity to play and think that they can have an opportunity to have a chance to go into a possible professional career, knowing that there's a pandemic out there. And if they choose not to play and keep their safe and, and wanted to choose safety over playing, I don't think that will hurt them. So that's where I'm at with that. I think that that's. I think that high schools should consider all of them moving their their sports to the spring. That's just my opinion. But if they don't, um, I don't. I can't. I can see several teams. I mean, if the kids are not in school, let's use this example. If the kids are not in school, then they're then they're professional athletes, right? <laughs> because. Yep. The the object of them being in high school or playing in school is that they're playing in front of what their peers. Yeah. They're not if they're not playing in front of their peers, then to me you're a professional. Those guys in Orlando, <laughs> those guys in Major League Baseball, they're not playing in front of fans, but they're getting paid what millions of dollars to do this. Our kids are not getting paid <laughs> that. Is it is a privilege to play. And I think if people That's really thought of it that way, sorry yeah. about that. If I think if people really thought of it that way, I think that they would get it would be more clear. Don't get me wrong; you're going to have your Zion Williams and those guys that are once in a lifetime player or LeBron James. Those guys are special. Those guys will never need college. Those guys could have gone and and make their millions of dollars regardless, and they're good people. But at the same time, I think that when we're asking high school kids to go and play a sport, knowing there's a major pandemic out there, I think it's crazy when these people are having their kids go play travel baseball and basketball and want them to go back out and play this right now in the middle of a pandemic. I'm not putting my kid at risk like that. It's not that serious. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. Um, I do want to add this, um, and I don't – know if this number has changed, but I know either last week or the week before, I saw that uh, 37, I think it was, Clemson football players that tested positive for yes. the virus. And for those of you don't, yep. for those of you who don't keep up with sports, 
Uh, Clemson is uh, one of the top football programs in the country right now. They they are a powerhouse. Um, so if Clemson if Clemson cannot excuse me play football uh, this fall, uh, that might be a problem for the NCAA. Um, I do want to throw these comments in here. Um, someone said uh, before we switch gears a little bit. The three most vocal people I person, personally know who are in favor of school full-time are stay-at-home moms. Um, they are advocating for schools to open like they were on March the 12th. And then it says Title I schools and IDEA funding would be the most impacted. Uh, for those of you who may have just joined, um, and we won't be with you guys much longer, but I do want to get uh, Amber and uh, Tony's uh, thoughts on some other things before I let them go. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, the number to dial is 563-999-3542. You may ask a question. You may uh, give a comment as long as you are respectful. Uh, Tammy uh, uh, had another engagement tonight, so uh, she she still has time. She still has time, and she's an hour behind us on the East Coast, so it's only 9.13 in Memphis, so she she has more time than we have. Uh, but, again, if you guys um, have a question or comment, please, please, please don't hesitate to uh, chime in. I know conversations like these, um, a lot of times people tell us, like, I really couldn't even ask a question or say anything because I was, like, just that in tune. And I can tell you, listening to both Amber um, and Tony, like that's really where I'm at, where I am. Like it's like just listening to them. I'm like, uh, I really could like you know let one of them host the show. <laughs> but I want to I want to talk about something that 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 um, that impacts uh, children, but not just children. It impacts adults as well. So um, Tony and Amber, feel free to uh, talk to talk about children, but also address it. Uh, where it comes to adults, but I want to talk about mental health for a little bit um, because that has come up, uh, you know, in conversations about school um, and just conversations in general, like where people are mentally uh, because of this pandemic uh, with depression um, and people, you know, feeling like, you know, they can't, um, you know, they're struggling because they can't live their lives the way that, they would like to or the way that they're used to uh, a lot of plans had to be put on hold um and and not everyone can handle being still not everyone can handle being um you know cooped up in the house um and so depression is real and you know not only that but like you know people just feeling trapped or people feeling in bondage like it Anxiety, like, you know, these things are real, and, and people are actually dealing with these things. Um, I try to, uh, I know for myself, like, Instacart, um, even though, I, like, I don't need a second job, but, like, it was, like, when when I found out that, like, we, back in March that we were going to be virtual, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm going to get outside and do something. And you know what? If I can make money at the same time, cool. Let's do it. Because I need to get get my uh, my fat behind, <laughs> like out of out of the house, and like do something. 
Um, no I need comment. to be productive. You said what, Amber? I said no comment. <laughs> but it, but Instacart has been like, you know, it is, it has been a really good thing for me. But you know, that that is, uh, I'll say one of my outlets. Like, you know, I, I've also picked up NASCAR, um, <laughs> you know. But like, but but that's I mean, but that's me. Amber, right now it's either that or golf all day. Hey, listen, listen. Remember when y'all went for a walk? I stayed inside and watched and watched and watched the race, you know. But but I'm mm-hmm. I'm a person who can adjust, right? Like I like I tend to be able to, and and I'm very grateful because I don't take credit for. It. I, I'm just glad that God made me this way. But I I find that I can adjust, but not everybody can do that, you know. Right. Um. You know, when it when it comes to childcare and school and work and all of that stuff, Tamaria and I have been very blessed that her aunt, you know, doesn't live far and her aunt takes Nadia, you know, four days a week and like gives Tamaria and I the opportunity to like, you know, take a deep breath to work and you know to do things. Um, so we don't have the struggles that other people have. So I wouldn't dare tell anybody like, listen, this is what you need to do in the midst of work. Like I wouldn't do that. But, um, but there are people who are struggling. So Amber, I want to start with you. Um, have you heard anything about you know people, you know, ha- like struggling during these times? Um, and what are some things that you think uh, would help um, with these with these crazy times? Um, yes. <laughs> the, the quick answer to yes, I have heard it. Yes, I've seen it. Yes, I even have experienced it myself. I'm an extreme extrovert, and um, going into COVID, so I went in a little bit earlier um, because I live with an autoimmune condition, and I was like, wait a minute. I saw, I remember seeing a video of what it did to someone's lungs, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go in, and I went in super early, um, before, even before our state had shut down. I was like, no, I'm not going out. Um, I'll be ordering from all the websites and not going anywhere. I didn't even really get out until, like, June, and I started sheltering, like, right. early, like the early in March. So because of that and because I'm an extreme extrovert and I was home alone for the majority of that, I missed people and I began to get, like, anxious and I began to have trouble sleeping. And I know I've talked to a lot of folks who also are still struggling with sleeping, still struggling with anxiety, some folks even to the point where it's moved over into depression, um, folks having suicidal thoughts and things like that because they have been put into this very weird situation where, one, um, in most cases you're either social distancing alone or you're social distancing with the same people. Um, thankfully, that's opening up a little bit more with the weather and folks are getting out and at least seeing other folks from a distance. But I know for me, I even had to – I contacted my insurance company. I was like, no, I need to talk to someone um, because I was like, this isn't healthy. This is not normal. And I knew for myself that I needed to seek out a counselor when – um, most times African-Americans don't seek counseling because we're taught in our community that that means you're crazy and we can deal with stuff on our own when in reality all of us should be laid up on a couch probably for the rest of our life trying to deal with childhood <laughs> trauma and generational yeah, trauma. <laughs> Just being honest. So it's because true. of that, I, I sought um, help and I've been doing virtual counseling and that has been helpful. And I also was very clear on the type of counselor I wanted. 
I did not want a black person or a woman. I didn't want anyone who could relate to me because I didn't want them to relate to my own trauma and be okay with it. I wanted someone who could who could see my stuff without attaching to it and making it okay. So my counselor is actually an Indian male um, because I felt that oftentimes when it's like, even if I'm talking to my friends, right, if I can relate to the issue, I'm like, oh, that's okay, you're okay. When a per- and it's all right because it's my issue too. So I, I have grace for that issue and I try to cover it up and not fix it. Whereas a person who has no relation or no, um, not, not a lot of things he can connect on and that way can often say, no, that is a problem. You should probably actually deal with that. No, it's not okay that this is happening. Or, yeah, you are having those feelings and those feelings are valid and that's for a reason and let's work through them. So I know for me, I think folks, for me, I had to, like, realize that, this was not normal, how I was feeling was not normal, and I had to seek help. Now, everyone doesn't have access to healthcare in order to seek help. So there are free resources online where folks are doing counseling and things like that. Um, I encourage folks to reach out to people that they have in their lives and to share or at least talk to folks. They, you don't have to admit that you're having um, depression or these other issues um, dealing with um, your mental health if you don't want to parent. But I think it's important that you talk to someone and have a go-to person to, to get some of this stuff out because otherwise you're going to implode and you're going to continue to let it build up, and that's not healthy. And for our kids, right, like I don't even know how the kids are dealing with this. I haven't talked to young people about their mental health in this. I know some of them are tired of their parents. Like I can only imagine <laughs> being, not being honest, like imagine a day, right, like this is your senior year or this is your freshman year, whatever it is, right, and you're used to going to see your best friends especially for seniors, right, they literally got taken out of schools and they never got to say bye to their friends. And they probably will never see those people ever again. Let's be honest, how many of us have left school and never saw those folks again? So they're dealing with different types of issues. And now they're at home with their parents all day long when normally they probably only see their parents for a few hours at night after they finish club or sports or things like that. And now the family is in the house all day long. So there's different things that come with that. And now they're expected to do schooling line and things like that. So we just need to be aware that the kids – their generation is different than ours. They're connected a little bit more than us, so they may actually be dealing with it a little bit better because they do have the digital tools and they live on um, those social media platforms. But we also need to make sure we're aware of the kids and making sure that they are okay considering, like, their lives were greatly shifted at some of the key moments of what we consider as the adult process in this country. So that's my long way of saying if you're dealing with um, mental health issues during this time, please seek out help. I did not know all of that, um, but but Amber, that, that was that was pretty powerful. Uh, <laughs> I did not, but but I think you. I, I think I hide you dropped. It well, Rodney, I hide it well. <laughs> yes, you do. I, I will never. I will never give you a hard time again. No, but seriously. No, I like I need what you that. said. That's my energy going. Saved my life so many times by joking me, Rodney. I'm joking. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I do not joke anybody. For everybody listening, I don't joke people. But, <laughs> but no, but seriously though, like when you said the part about when you did decide to reach out, you did not want a black female. And so, therefore, you went out because that's what we do. I didn't want a black person or a, uh, or a female or a black female. Sorry, I didn't say it right. I didn't want anyone who could relate to me on any level so they could actually help me. Um, so I feel like we coddle each other in our own pain. 
But how but how often do we do that though? Like how often do we um do we turn off people who are different from us? How often do we say, Oh yeah, I'm gonna go over here like I'm gonna call you know, I'm gonna call Tony, like he you know, he can relate, you know, like we all we always do that though. So that's why I said I think it's great that you brought that point up because we need to start reaching out to people who not who are not going to like you said that that they're not gonna baby you and coddle you, they're not gonna just agree because like you got the same problems I have. They're also not gonna like troll you, you know, but they can actually help you grow, which is something that we talk about on this show all the time. So I, I, I'm glad that you brought that point up, uh, Tony. I think that the, 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 I'll piggyback on Miss Amber. Depression's real. Um, being alone, I can tell you this. Um, I work with seniors. I think you know that, and um, um, working with seniors and programming and all that, and being in charge of all of that stuff, and having people that work with them. Um, my mom is going to be 80 years old, and I was always wondering how come she would get days mixed up, why she would uh, lose her train of thought on those little things. And my mom was a very sharp woman. My mom um, worked in, you know, before she came down here and moved down here, when she retired from her first job, she worked on Wall Street um, in uh, federal funding for Citibank, um, did that for 25 years. And then she moved down here, and then she wound up working for NIH and National Park Service. She retired from um, – NIH. And um, one of the things that I've learned in my life um, is that I couldn't understand that until being in this midst of this pandemic and being locked in my house since March 13th <laughs> and not being able to leave to just, the only thing I could leave for was to go to the store. And um, I had a mask on, gloves. I still wear a mask and gloves, um, but um, I didn't have a lot of contact. I didn't, my sister and I had uh, returned from Panama in February 21st. We didn't see each other till almost June. Um, that's the first time we really saw each other um, as far as oh, know, wow. my sister and I are very close. And then I saw, when I go see, went to see my mom, I, even though I was only working out of the house one day a week, and it's interesting how your mind works, um, and I can relate with this with Miss Tammy, um, struggling to fall asleep because – I know I'm getting up the next day and I'm, you know, I jump out of bed, I, you know, get myself a little bit together, throw some, you know, gym shorts on and a T-shirt and change and make up my bed. And then I'm at my computer all day working um, alone. Um, the TV's really my company just in the background playing noise so I can kind of hear it, right? Um, it was very difficult for me. And I started losing track of days, literally. <laughs> like if I if, if I could know when Wednesday came because <laughs> my body would normally and actually get up. It was up. wing night. It, it was, was wing, wing night. Oh, tell the truth. It was wing night. <laughs> yes, it was like my body was like, yes, it's Wednesday. I, I got to get up, and I'm I'm up before my alarm is off. You know, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes before my alarm. So that told me right there that your body and your mind really understands. And then when I get back to Thursday. I had a hard time getting up, but I'm up, and then I'm like, because it's the same old thing. It was depressing to be in the house alone 
um, even though I'm talking to my sister, and even though I saw my mother, um, you know, my mom has um, health issues, so I wanted to make sure that I didn't get anything to bring it back to her. My sister, the same thing. My, she didn't see my sister for three and a half months, and, you know, they talk all the time. And when I decided to go see her, I, you know, physically distanced from her. I didn't hug. My mom and I and my family were huggers. You know, we're close. And I didn't hug my mom, and I still don't hug my mom because I don't want to give her anything. And, you know, she's frustrated by not being able to hug her children, you know, to not be able to go out and do what she loves to do and work out and, and exercise. You know, um, I, I, I got some normalcy back when I started doing Zumba again and teaching my Zumba classes on Mondays and Wednesdays. And I normally teach another class. But that hadn't started back. That hasn't. Uh, they haven't returned for us teaching. But we're teaching outside. Would I teach inside a building? Absolutely not. But that has helped my normalcy. Tomorrow I go in at eight o'clock in the morning and I'm front facing the, the, the people. We're doing uh, a service for them called Meals on Wheels for the elderly, um, making sure that they get their meals um, during this COVID time. And um, we do that, and then I backface the office for another three or four hours, and then I go home. But, like, Wednesday was almost a highlight of my day, but now we're starting to program to do virtual stuff and to program for outdoor programming for our seniors, of course, being physically uh, physically distanced from each other. But at the same time, I get the depression. I wasn't depressed but I can get the isolation and the loneliness and the other stuff. Um, my girlfriend has kids, and I was like, I didn't want to be around her because I don't want to be the fault of her possibly getting anything from me. I know I'm, i put it this way, I know I'm very safe, but mm. I also want to make sure that I'm still safe with them. So I didn't, I really I haven't really seen her. I've talked to her, but I haven't seen her. And is that frustrating? Of course. But and for me to yeah. be safe and for her to be safe and for my mom to be safe, I feel that this was the way to go and make sure that, yeah, I can see you, but I can't really touch you like that. And I really can't hug you like that. And it's frustrating, you know, but we had a virtual party with my family. Uh, when my sister graduated from college, she um, got her uh, paralegal degree and her, her BA from Hampton University online. And um, it was great for uh, for us. And we, you know, and the other people in my family, high school kids and all that had graduated. So we do a big graduation virtual uh, Zoom party. And it was fantastic, you know, to see them, not physically, but at least see their faces. And we had a great time for about an hour and a half. So, you know, we're getting ready to do something special. And, uh, again, coming up, I can't really talk about it because it's something to surprise, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But I can get why people are so socially isolated, and I now understand seniors or why they forget if they're, they're are they isolated. And they're the number one community that I worry about in this because one of the guys reached out to me and told me he was having problems with his mental health, and I immediately contact two professionals and they have been concentrating and conversating with him, excuse me, and talking with him. And the great thing about it is that he emailed me today and said, hey, Tony, I got your message yesterday. I'm sorry I wasn't able to respond. 
but thank you for everything that you've done, and I'm doing so much better in my health the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to make sure I, I was very concerned about that. And for me, that's the most important to make sure that our seniors are at least being able to have contact with someone, even if it's me once a week, um, when they see me on delivery day, and which is pickup days. I'm talking to them and I'm making sure they're okay. I call some of them. I was on the phone all day. So it, it's what we got to do to make sure that, you know, we can help people with their mental health and then put them in, in front of those professionals that will help them through these times because it is difficult. And even now when, when they have lifted some of the restrictions, for me, it's um, just being smart. I can't afford to get anything because my mother told me a month ago, hey, I'm glad because when they started having the protest, I really thought about going down to D.C. and joining the protest. But my mom said, I said, no, I can't because I can't afford to get anything. And my mom said, thank you, because I really needed you. And I said, I know I made the right decision. She didn't have to tell me that, but I knew that in my heart and in my mind, and it would have been very selfish of me to do that. So I learned a huge lesson about what seniors and what people who are isolated go through. It's a very, very mentally draining in a different kind of way um, feeling where you're just all alone and you're not really talking to somebody. You don't have human contact. Um, you know, it's very, very difficult to go through that kind of um, of isolation. But, you know, and our seniors and our and some people are really struggling. And here's another caveat to that that we need to really to really think about. How about those women who are going through battered uh, or being abused by or men are being abused by their their spouses? Um children that are being abused by their parents. They're now isolated yeah. in, a, in a situation where their mental health may be deteriorating and yeah. they're taking that action out on them. So it's a very serious issue um, with the mental health aspect of this. And I've heard, you know, my sister and I were talking the other day and she was like, hey, Tony, you know, Sometimes I feel like my, my I'm going crazy just being in here, even though I have my dog, and I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you know mom, and I'm talking to a couple of other people. It's still sometimes isolation of being alone is tough, and we're very like I said, we're very very um, loving family. We we really are close in that we like to, and I got a humongous family. <laughs> <laughs> and my family is really, really big, and you know, it, it's it's crazy, and 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 I'll say this too: this virus is very real because I've known people who've died from this. Personally, guy I played basketball uh, uh, against, and people that mm-hmm. we, and, that I've known that have died from this virus, and at young ages, forty nine years old. So it's not all old people. I know the no another another guy who was part of my senior community, he passed away. So um, it's been a very, very uh, difficult experience, but a learning experience of what they go through on a a basis when this is over, there's still going to be a lot of seniors that are isolated, that we have to really address this and then their mental health, and it affects their mental health. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff, man. Um, so I'm going to go to a caller, and then I'm going to come back to both Amber and Tony for some final remarks before we get off the air. And I'm going to tell Tammy I beat her because uh, we're not going to be on for two full hours. 
I'm just kidding. Uh, but I'm going to go to a caller. Um, <laughs> I won't give their name. Uh, if they choose to give their name, they can give their name. But I'm going to go to a caller um, who I believe has some information. Area code 571, last four digits are 0422. Caller, you are on the air. Good evening, friends. This is Willette. And um, that was Hi, a Willette. really great how is everyone? <laughs> so that was some great information that Tony shared. Thanks for sharing that, Tony. That was awesome. I wanted to You're share welcome. for um, Tony and possibly other listeners some strategies that I used when I was um, in here losing my mind. And um one of the things I, I, I made a point of doing was getting my day started just as I would if I was going to work, getting up, getting dressed, not necessarily getting dressed for work, but just pulling everything together, you know, not just saying, oh, I'm just going to keep on my PJs or, you know, not do my hair or do like pull it all together every day where you are at least you know, ready to get out and go for a walk. Another thing that I learned um, was Eventbrite. I don't know if you're familiar with Eventbrite, but it's an app that you can download on your computer or your phone, and it offers many free classes. I've taken so many classes with um um, authors, black authors, um, authors on um, enhancing your virtual instruction, authors on anti-racism, authors on um, how to engage um, non-English speaking parents um, virtually. I mean, it's just a plethora of information out there. And then also Google. Google offers many um, online classes. Um, Oh, my gosh, I've taken so many. Um, Again, enhancing virtual instruction, I think I've taken about nine of them so far. But you can just Google um, whatever you're interested in. I, I thought for a moment there I was just talking to teachers, but you can you know, for any teachers out there listening, you can just Google K through 12 virtual. And I mean, a whole bunch of stuff pops up. It automatically gets added to your calendar. And um, it's great. Um, my latest venture that I signed up for today was um, How to Be Happy. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this author, but um She's a professor at Harvard, and through um, CourseRA.org, you can um, go and sign up for many free classes at Ivy League universities. So, you know, um, you know, one of the things I do, I just, I set up my day where I'm taking a couple of classes a day. I take a break for lunch and then I get back to it. Um, today I happened to be in Trader Joe's and forgot I had a class at six. So I just logged on and listened in 
And any class that you log on for, they will share the recording of the class for you to go back and listen to later. So um, to beat the loneliness, it's not just about, like, staying busy, watching TV or FaceTiming. It really helps if you're learning something new. And that's what I've been doing. Every day I'm doing something new. I'm taking a class. Um, and usually things that I could listen to. And um, if you're going to do it virtual where you're participating in the Zoom and stuff, I suggest you get some blue light blocking glasses because when you're online for six hours a day, um, your eyes do begin to tear. So good luck. Um, it is my hope that we are virtual at least until the end of 2020 so that we are all safe and hopefully corporations and schools and institutions um, will make that wise decision. And, um, you know, we can always meet up here on Tuesday evenings and share other great ideas. Thank Thanks you. Uh, well, uh, this, by the way, you guys, I, I won't tell too much, but this is the very modest roulette. <laughs> very modest. I, I, I guess she's going to ease you guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, roulette. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm sure you guys, if you tune in about three or four weeks from now, you know when she's gotten, you know, comfortable, you're gonna you're gonna hear uh, the same roulette, but just not as modest. <laughs> Thanks, roulette. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want to get. Oops. You didn't want to get what? I'm sorry. I said I didn't want to get kicked off the call. <laughs> oh no 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 no! No, we wouldn't I'm do kidding. That. I'm kidding. <laughs> so I hope right, I just wanted to repeat that that um, website. It's courseRA.org. Check it out. It's a lot of really um, good courses, and this is a great opportunity to up your virtual game. You know, for work or for school, get into it. And it's course dot. I'm I'm sorry. Course what? Will it one it's more time? Course c o u r s e r a dot org o r g. Okay, got and it. Thank you so one, much, Will. The other one is Eventbrite. Eventbrite. I just did a um a, a session with um the guy who wrote how to be anti-racist what's his name i forget his name but it was really good ibram x yeah it was pretty good all right yeah so good all right well thank you so much willette you are welcome all right uh we're going to come back to i'm going to uh Start with Tony, and then I'm gonna uh, go to Amber. Uh, Tony, any final words? Um, I just hope that 
they make the correct choices for um, these kids and not be pressured um, to feel that they need to just open the schools without having the proper data or the proper information to do this. Um, because I would, I, I'll just use this as a quick example. Um, we have 300 and three, uh, 328 million people in this country. If 1% of the population gets coronavirus and dies, that's 3 million deaths. Let's put it in that perspective. That's a lot of people. So we don't want kids where even if it's point, I think the, the percentage was 0. 0.02, which would be like 14,000 kids or 15,000, I forgot the number, that would possibly get, mm -hmm. uh, that can get the virus and die, too many. That, that number is unacceptable. And I think we need to really look at and understand that I understand there's some stay-at-home mothers that are sick and tired of their kids being at home, but it's not the educator's job to babysit your kid and put their life in danger because they have families too, i.e. you do. So you want to be able to come home safely to your daughter or they want to come home safely to their children and make sure that they're all healthy and they'll feel fine and they're, they're able to, um, you know, teach their kids in a different perspective. Think outside the box. If they're home till January, it's six more months. <laughs> That's how I look at it. As. Yeah. It's not going to be forever. <laughs> it's six more months. You know, maybe eight more months, but it's not going to be forever. And we have to really look at this. And we can't open up this economy. And we can't. We're seeing the ramifications of that right now. And we can't do the things that we're doing right now. And and and, and these numbers continue to spike. Because we already know the death rate is lagging behind the number of infections, and the death rate will eventually surge too. Um, I know that in Florida, and just like they did in New York, because my friend, I got a, a best friend that lives in New York still, and he works for Mass Transit, and he told me that outside where he's looking at hospitals, they had uh, frozen meat trucks for the bodies that they were putting in there that had died from co coronavirus. That's a serious, oh, wow. and Florida is right now doing that in certain counties where they have their, the infection rates in these hospitals have gone through the roof, and they have meat trucks because they have no room to put them in their uh, refrigerators for them to be frozen until they transfer them to the morgue. So this is serious, and we really need to think about do we want kids putting themselves and putting other people and teachers at risk? There's a lot more to do with this, and, and like uh, Miss uh, Miss Amber said, she has an autoimmune disorder, and then we talk about kids being in school who have sicknesses, and their parents still send them. Mm -hmm. The example again with glitter, one parent, uh, one kid has glitter. They all have glitter. Even if there's yeah. ten of them in a room, right? Right. It's just the same thing what with the virus. You it's just ten of them. <laughs> and it's just everybody has it. So if you want to think about this, you got one person in the room that has that's that's asymptomatic, that tested positive, or don't know that they're, they're yeah. um they have the virus. Everybody else is going to catch it. And then, like uh, Miss Amber said, if they have block, you know, block schedules where that teachers. Uh, receiving 30 kids a day in each in each section in five sections, six times five, you know that's 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 a lot. You know, five six yeah. classes and 30 kids. 
that's a lot of that's two hundred fifty. That's that's a lot of kids with the coronavirus, and then spreading it at home and spread. And that's how this virus is being spread, you know. And and this is just my opinion. And uh, Dr. Fauci said that we were opening too soon. We were opening way too soon. Um, people wanted to get back to work, but they didn't want to do they didn't want to do the necessary work, in my opinion, to actually make sure that we would not have to possibly shut back down again. And at the rate these states are going, some of these states are going to have to shut down again because there's no way in the world that the hospitals can sustain the level of infections that they're receiving on a daily basis. When I read that Florida mm-hmm. 15,300 cases, I was blown away. And um, and that was way past the number that New York had at, the, at its maximum capacity. And New York numbers are going down. And they just opened up into phase three. So hopefully they continue to go down. People wear a mask and be more um, and be safe. And that's what we really need to do. We need to think about the safety of our children and keep them safe. And we need to make sure that they're able to go into an environment, and the one, they can learn, two, they can feel that they're safe, and three, they're not, they're, they're not in, in, in any possible way hurting others by possibly being affected. Absolutely, brother. Uh, real quick before I turn over to Amber, uh, my wife, you and my wife uh, both do Zumba. Um, she does her classes on Wednesdays. Uh, share the information real quick because um, I know you say you do it on Mondays too. Yes, um, I do Zumba at the YMCA, which is in Monrovia, um, which is near it's Frederick County. And I've been they teaching there for almost seven and a half years. Well, yeah, seven and a half years. And um, it's Monday, Wednesday, 630. But you have to be a member. I'm not doing anything virtually right now. There may be, I will probably do maybe a class in the, sometime in the fall virtually. I'm not sure yet, but that's, what I'm, that's, but that's the information right now. I also taught Zoom in the park, but we have not been given the clearance by the city of Gaithersburg to do it yet. Um, so hopefully by August, at least people can get four weeks of Zumba is free. Uh, and, and we'll of course have to control the number of people and they're working out the details, but those are the two places, right? That the only place right now I'm teaching at is, um, the YMCA. Okay. Uh, Amber, go ahead. All right. I will try to do this very quickly. I think my final words would be that regardless of what happens as it relates to um, the state or federal government opening schools, I think we have to make the right decisions for our own families, our own communities, and our own lives. And if we feel that that is not the right move, I don't think folks should feel like that's what they have to do. Most places allow homeschooling or some version of that and really pulling together with folks who also agree with what you're agreeing with and bringing your grievances up um, to the folks who are making decisions. Also being a part of some of those decisions. Right now, I know a lot of folks are having, like, virtual um, – a lot of school districts are having virtual uh, town halls and things like that to talk to parents about what's happening, being very vocal in that, starting petitions now about what you want to happen so that the – the folks at the state or local level know what you all want, less of um, 
waiting for them to decide on it, but why not push all that energy into having uh, petition campaigns and things like that saying we want a hybrid model or we're okay with X, Y, and Z so that the state or localities can make a decision based on the needs of their communities. I think we have to um, do a better job of holding our elected officials accountable. All those folks are elected officials, not the teachers, but the folks making decisions. And I think we can turn the tide on that stuff. Uh, it's too late once they've made a decision and then we're having to like backtrack. We can be in the front of that. And if we wait and let them make a decision, you can still make another decision um, and use other means of educating your kids. Um, at the end of the day, I think we all want the economy to open up. We just don't want it to open up too early at the expense of our kids. I just say let's go ahead and wrap up 2020 the way we've been doing it. Um, yep. Let the let the good folks um, who are scientists who have been doing this for decades and have way more education than I will ever um, try to have uh, find us a vaccine so that we can make sure our kids are safe, that they're educated, and that they're in an environment that invites safety and that shows that we care. Because imagine if we send them back and kids start getting sick, the pullback anyway. Let's not even play that game. It's going to look even worse if you fail at it, right? We all know how that happens. When government fails, we're going to talk about it 300 times more than we talk about the successes. So hopefully government leaders are thinking about that and thinking about the people first and not the politics or not um, pressure coming from the White House. Other than that, thank you for having us. This has been great. Amber, I'm not letting you yeah. go that easy. I got to do you like I did Tony. He wouldn't talk How? about Zumba. Can you tell us about, like, your platform and, <laughs> like, everything you're trying to accomplish, like, where you are? So, because Tony, I think he's on the other side of, like, Maryland. Well, he's not on the other side, but he's in Montgomery oh, County, but he might know some people. That is like, the can other you side. talk about your platform? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, based on where you are. But listen, Tony, Tony might know some people in Maryland. You never know. Can you tell us a little bit more right. about... Uh, you, like, your campaign and, you know, Mm because you're running for office, so, like, and how can people support you? How can they donate? Um, All of those things. Trust me, my my final words are not even going to be 30 seconds. I promise you. All right. I'm I'm trusting you. All right. Uh, This is Amber Ivy. Let me do my political bill real quick. No, but I'm running for (laughs) office as an independent in Maryland's 7th Congressional District. Our district is historically Democrat and is a very popular district due to um, the Honorable Elijah Cummings, who passed away last October. Um, I stepped up to run as an independent because I believe we're in a situation where we need people who are going to be in Washington who are going to work together and not do the political theater that we currently have in Washington. Um, I am a person that believes that you, if you're going to work with the government, you need to go in there and get things done and not have a bunch of fighting and arguing and things like that. And even what we're seeing with COVID and the conversation we're having now, we're having this conversation because of politics. We're not having this conversation because of data or science or the truth, right? We're having it because two sides believe two different things, and we're, it's being used in a way that one side believes something, the other side doesn't believe, uh, doesn't believe what the other side believes, and, and it's cut on a red and blue line. And I always tell people, I care about red, white, and blue. Like, I care less about red and blue. Um, so we need to make sure we're working on um, what we need to do to make this country stronger, to unite us, especially during times where Black Lives Matter um, issues are con- continuously in the news and have been in the news um, for decades. And the history of uh, black folks in this country has, has not been um, the road that most would have chosen to travel 
uh, for sure. So we need to make sure that we are standing up and doing the right things and uniting this country beyond politics and beyond the drama. Uh, my platform very clearly is the future of families, the future of work, and the future of communities. And it's really saying we need health care for all that's outside of your job. Health care and benefits in general should not be tied to a job, especially when the world is changing. A lot of people lost their jobs due to COVID, and now all those folks do not have health care unless they went on to the ACA or their state um, state health care exchanges. And that's not okay. We know more people are doing what you said earlier, Rodney, Instacart, right? Some people are doing that as their full-time job, and they don't have access to health care benefits and things like that. So we need to figure out ways to make sure folks have access to health care. As it relates to work, we know work is changing. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Um, by 2030, up to 38% of our jobs will be automated by technology. So why aren't we focusing on those 38% of jobs to make sure people have the training they need to compete in a very different economy? And technology is going way quicker than it went um, when we were uh, younger, right? Like it kind of slow-trotted from, like, um, developed Internet to what it is now, but now the moment 5G hits, everything's going to be exponentially faster than it's ever been, and that means that we need to make sure people have training who are in the career workforce as well as our students. They need the tools they need um, to compete, and they need access to Internet, which is what I really get into when I talk about communities and connecting communities is making sure we have the physical infrastructure, trains, um, buses, and things like that so folks can um, get to jobs once things open up, but also the technology infrastructure that can connect to jobs that are not um, going to be physical, necessarily physical workplaces, um, and we just need to make sure our kids have the tools they need to be successful. So that's the quick and dirty. Um, if you want to learn more about my campaign, you can go to ivy2020.com. That's ivy2020.com. Um, you can also donate there as well. But I really appreciate you for having this conversation. It's been great um, talking with you both. <laughs> Thank you both, and to those of you guys listening, uh, when I set this show up, uh, neither Amber nor Tony knew that they were going to be my special uh, <laughs> special guest tonight, especially Glad Amber. Tony, Tony just messaged me on Facebook, and it was, and he was like, "Listen, I'm going to be up there. I got a lot to say." I was like, "All right, cool." And then I was just going through and like I was like, oh shoot, like let me let, let me just text Amber. Amber was like, really? <laughs> like it was like literally like ten minutes before the show. But didn't they both do a great job? And all I'm gonna say before I get off here is remember to take care of yourself, your mm-hmm. family, your friends, anybody who you care about. Uh, for me and Tammy both, we love you guys. We appreciate your support. Uh, to everybody who tuned in tonight, we will see you next Tuesday, same time, same same station. That was less than 30 seconds. Good night, everybody. Well done. Good night. Well done. Good night. It's been too hard.
But I know 